Hello, and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, presented by JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Nice Jewish Fangirls is a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the wonderful, amazing, nerdy things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by my amazing co-hosts, Tamar Herman. Hi. And Essam Rosenberg. Hello. Today, guys, we are going to be discussing Avengers Endgame. Woo! Oh my god, it's out and it's real and everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this episode is going to be full of spoilers. Just putting yes. that out there. So I just want to note we we will be we will have a spoiler free section uh, at the start where we're going to share kind of some of our general thoughts. Um, and then we will make it very clear when we move into spoilers, so uh, you will not be spoiled uh, if you do not want to be. We will be careful about the timestamps and all that good stuff. So, uh, of course, by the way, guys, I like I keep thinking of like what is a, a Jewish pun on Avengers, and the only thing I can come up with is Avengers, which oh god, makes yes, it sound please. like you have a list. <laughs> There has to be some good, like, Jewish joke in the Avengers somewhere. I mean, all I could think of is Brooklyn and Queens with Steve and Tony, with uh, Steve and and Peter. That's all I can think of. That is remotely Jewish. I meant in, like, the comics. There has to be something. Oh, yeah. Comic readers, let us know. I'm sure you guys can can fill us in on this for sure. if we talk about shawarma? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One last shawarma. Maybe we should call it episode one last shawarma. Yes, one last shawarma. Uh, all right. So as always, we're going to start off with our current obsessions, uh, which are the things that we are completely preoccupied with and can't stop thinking about um, or are approaching that in, in any sense. Um, so Tamar, you weren't here last time. Why don't you go first? Um, okay. So I'm really excited to share my current obsession with everybody. It's a very... <laughs> Something very fun, dear to my heart, and it's a little baby deer. Um, so I, I'm like laughing because this is like. Did you just make a pun that it was a that it was yes. dear to your heart? <laughs> okay, so pretty much, it's it is a K-pop thing, but it's also a really nice thing. And in at the start of the year, there was a little baby, a pudu. It's a type of little deer, like it's a, a small deer breed. Um, was born at the LA Zoo, and these fans of um, a member of NCT127, which is a K-pop boy band, they were like, he reminds us of this member, Hei-chan. And, and, and it became a, a meme, and they ended up fundraising, like, um, the zoo saw that people were memeing it, and they were like, well, if you want, we usually let donors name the animal, but if you raise $2,000 in a span of a week, we'll let you name the, the little baby Pudu after Hei-chan. And so they did. They raised like well, um, I think they raised like a few thousand dollars. They they surpassed it really quickly, like in a span of maybe forty eight hours. I think they surpassed the two thousand mark. And so um, this happened in January, and the zoo was really excited and whatever. And like they had heard since uh, January that like he like someone someone told the K pop star that like he either he saw it on social media or whatever, but like he he knew that there was a little baby deer in LA named after him. Anyway, so this week, NCT127 was in LA touring, and so he went and met the baby deer, and it's so cute. 
That's it. I'm just really like cute things and cute fundraising things. I can't. It's like so, so cute, except like they interviewed him. Like AP went and interviewed him because it was just such a funny story. And um, they were like, do you think you guys look alike? Like how fans think you look like him? And he's like, well, it looks like he likes to eat a lot and I like to eat a lot. And that, that was like his <laughs> response was just so funny. And I just think it's just like the cutest little thing. Like I love like fans doing cute, fun, fanny things, and and they you know they donated two thousand dollars over over two thousand dollars to like the wildlife conservation fund at the LA Zoo. So like that's really cool. Aww. And now there's a little, and apparently they're selling. Oh, and then today I saw that the LA Zoo has like merch. Like you can buy a baby Hitchan Kudu shirt, and I kind of want one when I go to LA in the summer. Like I might go take pictures with little baby Kudu Hitchan. I don't know. I just think it's really cute. And so I've been kind of obsessed over it for like the past four months. No, that's adorable. And I don't really, I I don't like, I have no alternative to like, there's a baby deer. I don't think you can like not be obsessed with it. I'm sending you the picture so you can see like people, (laughs) no, like people really were just like, look, this deer looks like him. And and I still like, don't really like, I I think it's so funny because they like somehow found pictures where like he's like drinking from a coffee cup and sticking out his tongue and the little deer is sticking out its tongue and <laughs> and like he's he's dancing in this one position and the deer's leg is lifted like it's just really funny and the fact that fans were just like let's do this i think it's so sweet i the pictures are loading and i need oh no oh my god isn't it so funny oh my god Fans are so, are like the best. When fans aren't being super annoying, they're so wonderful. Oh, that's amazing. And like, they have like a Twitter account that's like at Hitch on the Pudu now. And, and like, they had it responding to song releases. (laughs) I just think it's so funny. I think it's so cute. And they just have like a little, they have like a special um, fan camera for it and stuff. I just think it's so nice. And there's, there's little shirts. There's like this one little shirt. Where, I don't, it's really cute. I just really, really like it. I support you in this obsession. Jamie can cut out, like, half of my, like, (laughs) also, especially about the part where I was saying that fans are crazy. But. (laughs) We are, though. Mm. Yeah, there's no way around that. (laughs) I just just really like, first of all, like, I'm a a fan of the group, so, like, it's a cute thing. But also just, like, that fans, like, we're just like, oh, look at this thing. We can raise money for a good cause. It was nice. And now they met. That is very awesome. And very adorable. Uh, so, SM, now it's up to you to match Tamar in adorable obsessions. Oh, Can man. you do it? You cannot do no, it. No, I, I, I can't. <laughs> now I'm, I'm again, <laughs> always stuck between, like, which of my 15 current obsessions do I... And, like, I'm, I can't do Legends of Tomorrow, because I, I talked about that last episode. Um, okay, so I'm going to pick... Um, this podcast that some people who listen to podcasts may have heard advertised for on other podcasts. Cause like, if you listen to any of the Radiotopia network shows, you probably have heard, um, ads for, um, the truth fiction podcast. And I started listening to it a few months back because of, uh, ads that I was hearing on all these other Radiotopia, uh, shows that, uh, like the West Wing weekly and whatever. And, so I 
started with they had like a, a four part mini series called the off season, and then I went back and I did their I went through their entire catalog of stories, which is mostly just each episode is a standalone and. I think one of their taglines is movies for your ears and it really feels like that. And they, they did a behind the scenes episode where they talk about the sound production and the way that they get certain sounds. And it's the kind of thing where like, if the action is taking place outside, you feel like it's outside. It just like the way that the sound opens up and it's because like they try to, to, to record as many things as they can on location um, and they come up with techniques to make things, you know, to make the sound bounce the way that it would in the physical space that they're trying to portray. So, like, there's a, a part on, I think it was the off-season, where she, where one of the characters is talking to another character through, like, a bathroom door or something. And, like, they talked about on the behind-the-scenes episode how they had the actress basically put her face up against a block of wood so that the sound would bounce off the block of the wood and they would capture that, um, that vibe. And so like the technical aspects are really cool, but also the stories are really interesting. Some obviously, you know, each episode being, you know, a totally different standalone story. Some are going to be stronger than others. Um, but the current one, they're doing another mini series, um, called the body genius. And it follows this, um, this personal trainer for a, uh, for an actor, um, and it becomes a murder mystery, um, and it's narrated by the, by the trainer, um, you know, with a full cast for the other characters, but it, he's the narrator, and he's, like, he's kind of a moron, to be honest, like, he's the, some. Um, He's this total frat boy, and he's just the actor is so great and committed to this part. And like, he's like, you know, he's a lovable, well intentioned moron. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Andy Dwyer from, you know, from, from Parks and Rec, not like Star Lord. So, like, on a scale of Chris Pratt to Chris Pratt, he's Chris Pratt, but the good kind. And he's just. He makes you root for him, even though he's like such an idiot so much of the time. And uh, and it's just he's plunged into this absurd situation where um, there's been a murder and he's trying to figure out um, who it was. And and right now they've done three parts. They come out every two weeks and I am like on the edge of my seat for the next part cuz I just I really want to know what happens in the rest of the story and I uh I just like it's it's very immersive like I said in terms of the the technical sound design and it just you know it feels like like a movie um but you just you know you don't see it it just it, it's so well realized in terms of this the sound that that it's really it's very easy to imagine the visuals um and the actors are really good i don't think most of them are like no-name actors but they are really really good and yeah so i will say that the truth fiction podcast is my current obsession i think it's just the truth if you search for the podcast name it's just the truth 
Um, and the producer is Jonathan Mitchell, and it's on the Radiotopia Network. It's really good, and they did not pay me to say this. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, so for my current obsession, I'm going to um, lower the mood significantly. Um, but uh, it was Yom HaShoah last week, two weeks ago. Mm. And um, there was a kind of multimedia project. Mm-hmm. You should explain what Yom HaShoah is. Oh, uh, yeah, Holocaust Remembrance Day um, in Israel. And there was a project that, I, I, like, I'd seen people posting about it, but I, I didn't know, like, I didn't look into it, um, that I had just started watching um, around then, uh, called Eva Stories, that is, like, its its premise is bizarre. Its premise is, what if a girl during the Holocaust had a had Instagram? And I heard that, and I was like, very turned off and I was like that <laughs> that's weird I don't want to watch that um but I kept seeing people post it so um I did end up watching it the whole thing is about half an hour I think and you can watch it on YouTube now also if you don't want to go through her stories although if you do use Instagram the effect is definitely I think enhanced when you are watching it on your phone like a normal Instagram story um and it's about a girl named Eva Heyman who was um a real person and she wrote she was an aspiring photojournalist um in hungary in 1944 i think and she basically uh chronicled the um the nazi invasion and the ghettoization of the jews and the liquidation of the ghetto um in her journals so they basically took these journals and made them and like reframed them as an instagram story with a full cast of actors and crazy set design like the the set and the production value was insane like i was just like i i don't it looked like they were doing it in 1944 um and i just found the whole thing incredibly powerful and um like it's not perfect like not all the acting is amazing and you know whatever but i found it a really interesting way to a tell a story period because i hadn't seen like a fictional story told this is not fictional but it's fictionalized um, through Instagram or Instagram stories, but then also as, you know, a method of, like, bringing history to life and bringing the Holocaust to life, um, I was, like, I was super moved by it because it felt extremely immediate and, um, you know, it has that moment-to-moment quality that social media has, and it's also great because it's not all about the Holocaust. Like, there's part of it is about her crush on a boy and you know it's similar to the diary of Anne frank that way it's like just because you're living during a war doesn't mean your life necessarily stops especially if you're 13 so um at this point i'd probably say save it for um tishaba <laughs> if you haven't watched it yet uh because i do think it would actually be good uh tishaba material but um yeah very powerful um eva stories on instagram um, did either of you guys have a chance to watch it? No, I don't have Instagram, so I'm not on there very often. Um, I did watch a few minutes of it. Um, I kind of was skipping, and I got creeped out really quickly, so I had to stop watching. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's realistic, isn't it? It's yeah. like, I mean, I, I got up to the the part that made me like want to cry so much that I needed to stop was um, it was the it was the part where she's like. I could never tell if she was filming or whatever, but it was, um, I didn't like watch in depth. I was jumping around, but, um, it was the part where she's filming 
the girls playing and they were talking about the restrictions on their life in the ghetto and and it was it was them chanting uh we die in response to things like if the lights are on after dark we die if if you eat too much food you die if you make too much noise we die and it was so heartbreaking and so terrifying because this is probably what kids were doing and so i had to stop no i i yeah i totally hear that um I, I I had that reaction from more than one person that like it was much more intimate and realistic than than expected. Um, yes, definitely recommended. Uh, not not easy watching, but also I don't think the not the hardest thing you'll ever watch about the Holocaust. Um, and if you are uh, if you're one of us, it's part of the job. So <laughs> there you go. Now, do you guys want to talk about something extremely fictional and not very yes, much like the Holocaust please. at all? <laughs> Okay, so Avengers Endgame. This is obviously the final movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, Phase 4. It brings to a close the Avengers set of films, at least for now. Um, It basically serves as a finale to the 22 movies. The 22 movies that came. Crazy pants that came before it. And... um, so we're just going to give our non-spoilery spoilery thoughts first. Um, I'm just going to say I love the movie. I do think that it's it has some problems, and I I think fairly those problems look a little more prominent the farther you get away from the movie. But I in when I watched it, I was enraptured, and I was like, I was blown away by the unbelievable skill that it took to orchestrate and the way that almost every piece just works really beautifully well. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's a really good movie. <laughs> it almost is, it's better than it has any right to be in my opinion. So that's my uh, very quick and dirty spoiler free review. Uh, SM, what about you? Yeah, I tend to go into these movies with like no expectations because yeah, if you don't have expectations, you can't be disappointed. And you can only be pleasantly surprised. So I will say I was very pleasantly surprised by this movie. Um, It was, I think, very satisfying in ways that um, I was not expecting, given, you know, the track record that uh, this franchise has had. Um, I know there were, you know, a lot of people who were, like, moved to tears. It wasn't that sort of experience for me because I don't have the attachments to these characters that I guess some other people do. But I really appreciated what they did with it and i i enjoyed the character arcs more in this movie i think than in a lot of the other movies yeah for sure it felt surprisingly character-based to me Mm -hmm. um tamar how about you yeah i'm I'm pretty pretty much in line with you guys which is what i was very pleasantly surprised when i was in the theater and i really enjoyed it for what it was uh there were like a few moments that i was just like hmm could have maybe done something differently or I would have liked X, Y, and Z better. But uh, overall, I think I enjoyed it in the moment. And then taking a step back, I was kind of being more critical about it and thinking more about it. I think the only, well, we're not going to talk about spoilers yet. We're just talking generally. But I think I think there was like one or two things that in the moment I felt really good about. And then later I was like, do I really like that? Or um, like, why did that happen? But it, it wasn't, as, as a, as a movie, as, like, a blockbuster experience, it was super enjoyable. I'm just, I'm just trying to think, like, yeah, like, I walked out of there, 
and my little sister and I were both really excited that we just saw that movie and we felt that they had like done right by a lot of characters that a lot of things that were put to the end like a lot of stories that were put to the close in that in the end of the movie were done really right there was only one person that I know we're going to talk about later who I was just like why did that happen um I don't know yeah I, I, I enjoyed it like you know, as you said, it was 22 movies, and I just checked as we were talking, and the only one I haven't seen is the Hulk's movie, because uh, that doesn't count. I mean, it wasn't Mark Ruffalo, right? Like, it was Edward It was Edward Norton, and I love him, but um, it's sort of separate from the MCU. In that. Yeah, well, it's they include it in it. It's included in the MCU, but I don't... Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know, but it's so not really. It. Uh, so I have seen <laughs> 21 Marvel movies, and... and I, I think this was one of the better. I think this one was satisfying. I think this was a really satisfying movie when it could have really not been. And then taking a step away, just like being more critical of it. I don't think it's making it any less satisfying for me. It's just, I, I don't necessarily think, no movie's perfect. But this isn't, I don't know if you, if you guys watch Game of Thrones. Well, because if Michal doesn't watch Game of Thrones. But I don't think this was a season eight, episode five disaster of what just happened like Game of Thrones was. It's just, we could, you know, we're- I do watch Game of Thrones. No, I know. (laughs) No, I know. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I do watch people reacting to Game of Thrones on the internet with- It's been a very long week. (laughs) Oh, we all need more coffee. Sorry, I'm sick. Um, No, that's that's my bad. Um, But it wasn't like, you know, like the season five, the episode that just aired, as we're recording, is the one, this, the penultimate episode, and everybody's upset. People don't understand what fanfic is, and so they're very upset. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't feel like there was any sort of that reaction to uh, Endgame. I think the reaction was more, like, immediate, that was good, and then it's a lot of talk about how can we make it even better because there were these huge problems. Like, I don't think a lot of the issues that people are raising yeah. are small issues. I just think that the... the the, it couldn't, I mean, it could have been a lot worse I, and it could have been better, but I don't know how much better that, that, that betterness level could have been because I don't know what would have been possible right now in this day and age for Endgame. But I think there were a lot of things that could be critiqued for future Marvel movies. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. I think for me, honestly, it's probably my favorite after Black Panther, but I, I don't I don't generally like to rank things, but I just, I was really blown away. <laughs> Yeah, I think of the of the ensemble movies where they have, you know, like most of the Avengers, like, you know, in any of the, you know, Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron and then Civil War and Infinity War. I think out of those, this is definitely my favorite of those because I think that they have, you know, it's a, it's very difficult to juggle a giant ensemble um, and they got better. Sometimes it felt like they were getting better as they went and sometimes it didn't. Like, I did not like Civil War at all. Um, but, uh, this one, I felt like they, they really, uh, did right by a lot of the characters. Not all of them, but a lot. I think also my big, like my biggest complaint about Infinity War, uh, when I rewatched it on Netflix, I felt like I could, um, speed past a lot of the fight scenes because there were so many fight scenes mm. early on in the movie that by the time we got to the big final finale, I was, like, all fight scened out. And I didn't feel that way with Endgame. Like, Infinity War was really long because they were, like, big budget battles that we're going to have. And 
end game was long because there was plot that they needed to develop, which, I mean, you could have easily made this a trilogy instead of a duology for the Infinity War cycle, but I'm happy. I'm, I mean, I'm happier they didn't. It was more concise, but but I think that it, it didn't have that problem as much. Like, it wasn't as blatantly obvious to me that they were just like, big budget battles that we need to have on a blockbuster because I didn't feel that we had those in Endgame until the final battle. Like, it felt like the final battle was really the final battle. And in in um, Infinity War, it was like, we're destroying New York now, and then we're in Europe somewhere, and we're also in space, and we're also on the ground. Like, there was too much battling going on in Infinity War that was unnecessary. I felt like there was a lot more, there were probably more small human moments in uh, Endgame than in, like, most of the other uh, Marvel Universe movies combined. Like, there was just, like, from the first scene, just, like, there's really, there are some, like, really great tender moments between characters that, like, the other movies didn't really have time for because they were very much plot-focused and very action-packed. Um, and I think that, like, it really added to the movies and gave them... I feel like it gave this movie a gravitas that a lot of the other movies don't really have. Okay, I actually, I think we should probably move into spoilers now. Does that make sense? Because I was about to say, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so if you have not seen Endgame and you do not want to be spoiled, if you do want to be spoiled or you are, are already spoiled, then please keep listening. But if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now. Okay. Everybody... Everybody who is hearing these words has been spoiled for Endgame. Cool. All right. We are all in the pact. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, what I was going to say is that it's it's interesting. I mean, it, it's like you wouldn't think that so one of the things that these movies that this movie does so well is it balances like the big cast parts and the smaller cast parts really well. You know, like it it. it because everybody's been wiped out <laughs> from Infinity War, mm-hmm. you can really focus on, um, you know, the handful of characters who are left. But then at the end, like, it also works really well, <laughs> like, when they're all coming back. And it just, I, like, I, I love that moment. That's, I've, I've rarely been like, yes, go humanity, go Earth, <laughs> as much as I have <laughs> been, like, in this movie at the end. And, oh, yeah, I, I... It's just orchestrated so well, you know, and it's paced really well, too, because it's a long, long movie and it doesn't really feel like three hours. Yeah, I kind of didn't want it to end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only reason I wanted it to end was because I needed to use the bathroom, but I had already looked up the pee guide and I knew oh, that nice. I had missed all the opportunities <laughs> and I was just like, oh, no. Uh, no. Yeah, they really are all in like the first like third of the movie. Also, the yeah. they were like, they... The, the one I looked at was just all the fun comic relief moments, like the ones that they said were when they were doing the, the tests on Scott. Why would anyone want to miss that? That was so much was fun! fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Alright, so now we're just, now that we're in the spoiler section, we're all going to go around and just mention um, our favorite and least favorite moments from the movie, and then we're going to start diving into some of the questions that our wonderful listeners have uh, put to us about the movie. Now we're going to get into our uh, favorite and least favorite spoilerific uh, 
moments of the movie. We're going to start, of course, with favorites. Tamar, would you like to get us started? Okay. I don't... This is really hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was really... I'm, I'm really trying to think of, like, one specific moment. And, and the one that really, in the moment, and I know we're going to discuss it later because it wasn't so great in retrospect, that I felt really, like, I was excited about in the moment was when all the women, female superheroes were in the final battle and appearing all together. Because for me, that was just really cool. And then in retrospect, I was, like, disappointed by it. But in that moment, it was amazing. And I really liked it. And I loved seeing a lot of really strong, powerful women on screen. And it felt really cool for three seconds. And I really liked it. And I don't know if that's my favorite moment, but that's the moment that in the movie made me feel really good. That was actually my pick for least favorite moment, but we can get to that. I know, we're going to discuss this. I, just, I don't know, I, I really I really just felt, you know, pandered to. I was thinking the entire time, I was like, this is super pandery, but it's okay. I like don't care about being pandered to sometimes because it means that you recognize that you are idiots for not highlighting us properly. I have, I have thoughts as well. So, SM, what's your favorite part of the movie? Yeah, the the moments. I mean, I have I have two, um, but the moment like that really just rises <laughs> to the top. <laughs> but <laughs> no, it's just so funny. Like talking to you is always like, okay, so what's your one thing? Okay, well, here's my first debate. <laughs> <laughs> so many things. Um, okay, so my my number one favorite moment that just like brings a smile to my face every time I think of it is when Captain America uses Thor's hammer. As just like, oh yes, <laughs> it was just like the most satisfying feeling in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe to this point. Like, it was it was just so great. And Thor's like, I knew it, and like every like uh, like when Thor says, I knew it, like you yourself as a viewer go, yeah, I knew it too. You know, like we all knew it. We all knew Steve was worthy. Yeah, I just I loved. Can I change my answer? Okay. Sure. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) I have two moments. Because it was when Thor, because it really, like, I'm thinking about it now, and it was when Thor realized he was worthy, even. Yes, that was my second favorite. Okay, sorry. I interrupted. No, 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 no. It's great. Now we get to make sure that it's covered, you know? (laughs) It was just so nice. Like, he he was feeling so down and depressed, and, but but even if you're going through a dark patch, like, you're still you, and you're still worthy. Mm Mm-hmm. It made me so happy. Those were both incredible moments. I think probably probably the Captain America. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to go for it. My favorite moment is when you have all of the force, literally all the forces of good arrayed against literally all the forces of evil and Cap just goes Avengers assemble. And he, does it. he <laughs> says it quietly. There's no real restrict to say it at all, but it doesn't nope. matter. It's just so incredibly amazing. <laughs> It was like you had to do it because otherwise this wouldn't be Avengers. Yeah, you know? like exactly. you had to. And it's also just like everyone is an Avenger. Everyone, if you are saving yes. humanity and personhood from Thanos, then you are an Avenger. And I just felt that that was a very like uplifting moment. Um, yeah, but also I, I I think the thing is I was in a press screening, so I was trying to be cool, and that probably lasted <laughs> for about maybe 40 minutes and then i was just screaming was anyone there cool though like really yeah some people were cool thankfully the uh the people sitting next to me were i think thought i was crazy but i don't care 
Were, wait, were they not all screaming too? There were a lot of screams. Yeah, that's what I mean. I was like, what's wrong with them? I don't want to be them. I don't want to be that There were, there were a lot ever. of big screams and, and cheers and stuff, um, including, like, definitely the, the cap with um, the hammer moment was just incredible. And yeah. I had some, like, oh crap moments, you know, like when uh, when Nebula starts glitching and Thanos finds out that they're there, I was like, oh crap, <laughs> now it's all going to hell. Like, there were some moments like that that really worked for me. So, so if I, if I can have a second uh, <laughs> favorite moment, too, mm-hmm. um, it's when, you know, <laughs> I, I can't actually, I can't actually pinpoint, like, a specific moment, but it's like, it's just kind of Nebula being Nebula. Because she mm-hmm. is so ama- like when I grow up, I want to be Nebula. <laughs> she is mm. so great and so like complicated and has so much pain. And Karen Gillan plays her incredibly through crazy makeup and prosthetics and a a voice mm-hmm. tone that should not be able to bring the emotions that she does. Um, I just think she's a really inspiring like example of somebody who can like really change, you know, and, and really, you know, cause obviously like re- redemption arcs are given a lot of uh, attention and they're, I think automatically compelling, but Nebula's kind of had this under the radar redemption arc that, you know, nobody really paid mm-hmm. attention to. I think out of all the female characters, I think she's really the only one who's really had a proper arc. Yeah, and then she makes that ultimate decision at the end to, you know, to kill her past. Literally, she kills her past. And it's, oh, I find it so mm-hmm. powerful. I love it. But it did make it extremely upsetting when uh, Thanos started torturing her again. <laughs> I was just like, wait a second. No, I don't know how this makes sense, but no! <laughs> And also, like when when she's e- when like her evil past self, you know, encounters the other ones, and I'm like, but now they're gonna think that she turned on them and she betrayed them, and she would never do that because that's not who she is anymore. <laughs> and I was just like, no, I don't want them to think that of her. Yeah, no, I was really emotionally invested in her. Um, okay, so let's move on to least favorite moments, um, if we have any. I'm sure we all do. Um, I think. Yeah, the pander moment. For me, because especially because of the way that it's set up um, of like they they're they've just seen Captain Marvel destroy Thanos's entire spaceship. She's like a human glowing missile. And then they're like, but how is she going to get the infinity gauntlet where it needs to go? You know, and it's like, that's a dumb question. And then she has help having only the women show up, you know, made no sense because like, this is an important job. Like literally anybody nearby should be on it. And there's no reason for all the women to, to just be on it except for pandering. Like if there was some conceivable reason, you know, like I don't, I don't begrudge people for liking the, the pandering. I really, I really don't. I just viscerally hated it. So I have a, I have a reason. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they put up a machitza around the area, SM. That's that's the reason. They just made a machitza. So for a, no, that yeah. wasn't my reason. I just viscerally hated it in that way, but I know that it really, really triggered a lot of sexist fanboys, and the man babies are just throwing their mantrums about it. And for that reason, I love it. 
Okay, but I also so here is my actual theory because I did think about this aside from the pandering. And it's <laughs> only women can actually get shit done. And it's a metaphor because men are absolutely terrible nine times yeah. out of ten. That's not to say women aren't <laughs> terrible. We're literally literally dealing with like a crisis in America right now because of women being just as bad as men. But, okay, nobody needs to hear me rant about uh, abortion laws. Um, But... But, like, really, in that moment, all I was thinking was, of course, the guys are, like, needing to, like, fight and keep going against, like, all the mindless hordes because they just have nothing better to do than, like, they can't get themselves away from these mindless fights to save the fucking universe. That was, sorry. They couldn't get themselves, like, they couldn't tear themselves away from, like, the smaller things to deal with the bigger thing for, like, one second. And that was a lot of Infinity War was just all these egos. So... Of course, you needed the women to save the day. But that's just, like, my explainer in retrospect. But then Iron Man. Okay, but Iron Man also, whatever. He didn't even die. Um, <laughs> gone around it. Oh, speaking of Iron Man, I had, like, whiplash the other day where I saw a picture of Robert Downey Jr. holding an Avengers poster, uh, like, a signed Avengers poster, you know, for just some photo op or whatever. And, like, my brain was like, but he's dead. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, he's not. Robert Downey Jr. is not actually Iron Man. And I'm like, but are you sure? Really? He really is Iron Man and he should be dead because oh, Iron gosh. Man is dead. <laughs> that and got dark. Like, I was like <laughs> having this internal, you know, conflict with my, you know, perception of his existence. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's never happened before. <laughs> I think more than any other actor in the series... Um, Robert Downey Jr.'s identity with his character is probably like irrefutably intertwined for the rest of his career. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, okay. So. Wait, what's I... your least favorite? So. Mm, yeah. I. So I actually. I love the. Um, the formation moment, as I. As I call it. Um, yes, it makes no sense. Um, I don't care. I screamed. Um, and it's, you know i i i think it's also a little bit conditional um some friends have pointed out to me that like it's possible that um you know if they don't do anything of this and they don't move forward and make more movies about women and all that um then yeah it's kind of meaningless if they act on it and start actually making more you know equal movies then i think this will be a nice thing to look back on as a like, oh, sorry guys, our bad. It'd be really cool though if they didn't kill off the only woman they have a movie planned. It about. would, yeah. But they have a Black Widow movie now That's scheduled. A flashback, yeah. Yeah, but it's going to be a prequel because they killed her. So it's going to be a prequel. Yeah. It's a prequel. It's a prequel. Yeah, so it's going to be a prequel. Yeah, which kind of dampens my enthusiasm for it. But I'm still very excited for her to finally get her due because yeah like I didn't like hate her death as much as I could have um I still didn't wasn't really happy with it um because I just feel like overall her character has just never been done justice by any of the arcs and the writings she's been given you know because I feel like there's just so much more there that has gone unplumbed. And I felt like, you know, 
what what made it work enough for me was that she had agency in the moment and she definitely, you know, did choose this and like she could have not and it felt like, you know, she was taking her destiny into her own hands rather than having something forced upon her, which is often what happens with lots and lots of female characters. They just are subject to the whims of all the men around them. Um, but she, like, had an out, and she very clearly actively did not take it. And um, I liked that she had that agency. I still wish that she hadn't been the one of the very few Avengers who was permanently killed off because yeah, she's better than that. So the only reason I disagree with you because in the moment it's like, Oh, it's so nice is because I was reading a bunch of threads on it on Twitter and people were talking about how like essentially they took away the agency from her, like in Ultron, how by setting her up as like this woman who feels a certain way about the fact that she can't have children they kind of were setting her up as this character to sacrifice herself so that a father can be with his children. And once I started thinking about that, I was just like very, very mad that that's what it came down to. And I think if they had set it up any other way, I would have been a little bit happier. And right now it just was like, okay, so you're saying that she has no worth in her life because she doesn't have children and can't have children. And, and that's, that, that has been a major plot point of hers in past Avenger movies. So that means that's something that they were conscious of. And which means that they were just, like, setting her up to be the sacrificial lamb for, like, a decade now. I don't know that they were necessarily setting that up. You know, like, it does, you know, tie in very nicely. But I think that, like, you know, writers can be opportunistic based on, like, okay, let's see what we've done in the past and how we can, you know, make something that's consistent with what we've done. But also, I feel like if there had been, you know, most other of the other Avengers, um she would probably have fought them just as hard. Um, you know, Clint having a family, you know, was one reason, but also I feel like the way that they painted her, that she was just, like, so hell-bent on, on fixing this, and, like, she was one of the few, you know, who had who was, like, really in charge during the five-year gap, and, like, she had just, like, you know, burned herself out trying to make things work and she just really, really, really wanted to save people and and get things back to normal. Um, that she would have done it either way. Um, but I do hear, you know, the criticism of like the way that she, that it was phrased, making it seem like she thinks she has nothing to live for because she has no children. Um, but I don't think that I didn't feel like that was the only thing to play. I kind of did just because they did set her up with Clint. I was like thinking about it after I read that thread and like, if she had been with like Rhodey or Nebula or something, I don't think she would have necessarily tried that hard based on her character. I mean, she just didn't have a friendship with any of those. Well, the thing is she, she knows his family. It's not, it's also, it's not like a, I, 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 I fall somewhere in between. I think it's not as, generic as like you have a family therefore you are more worthy um i think she knows you know but it yeah i mean the the natasha thing to me i mean my least favorite part of the movie is clint um because so i just don't i his haircut 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 is is inexcusable i'm i'm offended that i was put through that 
That's how you know he was. He went evil. Is that he got a why? terrible haircut? Why? Yes, haircut well, he learned sorrow. Japanese. I mean, the man like so racist. There's only so many levels that a crisis like that can go, and I think that hair. Tasha should have just killed him. Yeah, <laughs> or at least shaved him. Uh, I would have been happy if happier if he had been the one to die. Like, let's be real, because also, I, like, I he was one of the lesser developed, you know characters and he's not getting you know a future movie of his own as far as anyone knows um and i don't think that many people are terribly invested in in him and that's probably why they didn't kill him but um because they wanted to kill the character that most people would care about but still i'm pissed okay so here's my real problem aside from the fact that i think it was not necessary like i think they could have found a way for natasha not to die but aside from the fact that they could have found a way for Clint to die. They didn't, like, ever address that Clint went on a freaking rampage and murdered anybody as, like, somebody... like at a, Yeah, as I a, mean, he mentioned it. Yeah, they mentioned <laughs> it, but they also, like... I don't know. I think that there... I think he was given a lot of outs, and I think, yeah, it would have been obvious to be like, I'm evil now, I'm gonna die instead of you. Um, and, and honestly, a conversation about, like, who is more evil, Clint or Natasha, for, like, her past sins, that would have probably been more evocative to me as a re- as like a who should die type like I'm worse than you I'm mm. worse than you because then you can kind of just see like everybody's terrible but they didn't do that and then they didn't like ever address it again and if they never address it again which I'm assuming they're not going to because honestly I used to like Hawkeye and and like the last two movies it was just like what are you doing here why am I supposed to care about you because they just really kind of just assumed you were going to care about this random white guy from middle America like I don't know. Um, I think he was really mm. underdeveloped, and I think that making his development becoming a... I think that Ultron was his best movie. Oh, definitely. definitely. I think Ultron was I mean, he wasn't movie. in Infinity War. Yeah, I don't think so. No, no. he wasn't. He, wasn't. <laughs> he, he was okay in, in uh, Civil War. Yeah, but, oh, yeah. like I, I agree. I don't he, remember he's him. pretty much like a... <laughs> Just why? Like, every time he's on screen and... He's the spare. Right, I, I, well, I think, you know, part of it is... I did like the the opening scene of the movie um, where he loses his family. Yes. I, the, well, the opening scene, I was like, hey, I was like, maybe we're going to actually get an interesting Hawkeye. And then he just goes mm-hmm. so weird that I was like, well, never mind. You're not interesting anymore. I'm it's not, like not anymore. they don't know how to write him, so they kind of just wrote it in a way that we'd have to put up with him and I hate it. And I really like Hawkeye, like as a character idea, I think he's interesting. Like I like his backstory from the comics and stuff. And I think they could have done a lot of really cool stuff with him and, and they just didn't. And they used it to butcher Natasha's like character. It's just weird. Yeah. They never properly address their interpersonal relationship. Like in the first Avengers movie, they made it look like Mm -hmm. there was something romantic. But then they made it clear that he has a wife, and so it wasn't romantic, so it was sort of a retcon that way. And, like, they just never figured out, you know, both of these characters to some extent. They never really figured out who they were. So I'm wondering if he's going to show up in her prequel. That would be interesting. But it, it, it will feel like, but no matter how good it is, and even if I learn to love him again, because I really did enjoy him in the first movie, like, as, like, somebody with potential, because I have a thing for archers. Just putting it out there. Um, yeah, everyone does. <laughs> yeah, no, you are not I like alone. <laughs> like, let's just say it. Like, he had so much potential, and then they just were like, "We don't know what to do with another white guy who's doing cool things." Because we have, but he's got to be here because he is who has no guy. superpowers. Has no superpowers. Well, developed that, 
or something. I don't know. But they like just never developed it. And I think that it was a cop out. And I think not addressing him being uh, a vigilante and her her death. Let's not give her a funeral, but give Steve one. That was baffling to me. But give Steve one with literally random people who we've seen like for two seconds in other movies. I mean, they they kind of brush it off, and they're like, "Oh, she didn't have anyone. We were her family." And it's like, "Well, okay, then. I guess are just standing here being sad as her memorial service." I guess Vision didn't get a funeral either. Also, where, that was what I was going to say. Vision not real. Like, <laughs> where, like, why? Vision is so real. I love Vision. Be nice. Be nice they to my didn't robot boyfriend. Discuss that even for a minute in the movie. Like they weren't just like, yeah. "Oh, we should bring Vision back." Like, they didn't discuss it. Yeah, I know. I was disappointed. Well, they, I mean, they mentioned, they met Clint, Clint and um, Scarlet Witch talk about it at the end. Um, they kind of are both reflecting that they've both lost, like, their, their partner in superherodom. Um, but I, yeah, yeah, I agree. It was, I mean, it was, that was sad that I think it's, it's reflective of the fact that, again, like, they didn't really know how to develop that. And I, I don't, I actually pretty much liked, um, Vision and Scarlet Witch. Like, I, I enjoyed them. Well, I, mm-hmm. I just can't figure out why they couldn't... Not, I know he wasn't snapped, but they... Right. But the, but the snap... I guess it's because they any... needed to use the stones altogether, and so they couldn't bring him back with the Mind Stone because they had to use the stones, and then they had to separate the stones and, like, put them back in their right places at the right times. The mechanics of the movie are where I stopped wait, wait, wait. being interested but at in all. The... In Infinity War, we we know that Vision doesn't need the stone to exist, so couldn't they have brought him back without the stone by, well, using the stone? Like, they could have brought a Vision without the stone back. That was the theory in Infinity War, was that he could exist without the stone. So why? Yeah, but they would, like, he would have to have existed with the stone, and then they had to remove the stone, but keep the... But he had to evolve. Like, wasn't the point that he... That he evolved beyond the stone, but, like, without the stone, there was no way they could have brought him to life. I feel like that makes no sense, considering that, like, the concept of it. It wasn't that, like, they undid the finger snap. It was that they brought all these people back to life. So why couldn't you bring him back to life altered? Yeah, I mean, I don't understand what the, you know, the power limits of the stones are. You can do whatever you want, but you can't bring back Black Widow. Like, why? Why? Well, I mean, I think that they they were pretty clear, or at least they implied that the only people who have come back are the people who were snapped. Like, I don't, I don't think, and, and yeah. I mean, Hulk even says like he tried, but he said that he tried, he said that he tried. So like, what does that mean? I thought that was because that was the, the payment to get the, the soul stone. That was like a direct one-to-one. If you want to use this, you need to pay. And then there's the question of how do you put back the soul stone? Right. And if she's in the soul, stone, I, I don't really. And why would you put the soul stone back? Like, why, why would you do that? you that doesn't seem like a smart. Idea. I don't know because he had to because otherwise the timeline. But, but the whatever. timeline, but, like <laughs> that was one. St- anyway, I I don't like thinking about the times. I don't. Uh, I, I don't know either. I particularly think it works, and I'm not interested in going deep. The wibbly wobbly time you wind yeah, exactly. stuff. It's it's a time heist. It doesn't make sense. It's about the excitement mm. and the experience. It doesn't have it. to. The whole point is that you get Paul Rudd the baby. <laughs> Speaking of time heights, we've been talking for like an hour, so maybe we should move on to the questions and comments that people sent in to us. Yes, let we us do that. Yes. Yeah, so we have um, some comments from uh, Elisheva Rosen, um, who wants us to discuss Black Widow, No Funeral. Um, I will say about that, um, I was fine with her arc as it ex- existed alone in the movie. 
Uh, I do not think it is at all sufficient in, in terms of her arc in the overall MCU. Um, I thought it was pretty clear Agreed. that she, it was powerful, powerful to me that she was that focused on bringing humanity back and that dedicated and was literally willing to do anything that, that worked for me. Um, it stopped working when you start thinking about how much longer they could have, how many movies they could have put her in on her own and, and what they could have done otherwise, um, which just gets frustrating. So then I change my mental topic. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I just think the funeral element of it, I mean, okay, fine. Yes. They were like in the middle of something big that was happening. And I get that there wasn't time for a funeral, but then maybe they could have put her like something ceremonial next to Tony. Yeah. Like a joint funeral for everyone. Yeah. Like they did in Firefly. Well, I think it was like Serenity when a bunch of characters died. Um, they had like a joint funeral at the end of the movie. It just felt really sexist. Yeah, or like a statue or a wing of an academy or something. Something would have been really nice. Maybe in future movies, maybe in the next yes. Spider Man movie, <laughs> like something named for her. That would be nice. Has Spider Man ever, has Peter ever spoken to Natasha? I don't think so, but I'm saying like just something like in the universe mm. that acknowledges her sacrifice. I would hope be nice. so. Yeah, Happy knew her, so. Okay, so they didn't even try to outsmart the riddle. Yes, that's a good idea. Um, I I'd also thought that that they were gonna find some way of going around of getting around the the soul stone um, problem. How cool would it be if they both went over the cliff? Soul stone riddle is just so dumb. That would have been cool if they both sacrificed themselves. That would have been interesting. Um, how did Thanos get his entire army back in time? I mean, yeah, magic. They're magic. Just, they're through space, time travel, etc. Why was everyone suddenly able to handle the stones when they were previously shown to be too dangerous for most to handle? Yes, good question. I believe that is an inconsistency. <laughs> uh, like some people say that, like the reason that Iron Man was able to hold the stones um, uh, is because he was using his nanotech, and nanotech is also magic. So, like that's that's how you how you can reconcile that part. But like, were there people touching the stones most of the time with their bare hands? I mean, I guess Clint was, but but you could argue that maybe, like, he proved he earned the stone, so he, like... Yeah. yeah maybe. But only the soul stone had to be earned. Right. Yeah, and, well, that's the only one that he got, mm -hmm. isn't it? But, like, he was holding the Infinity Gauntlet, but he wasn't wearing it. You know, like, as soon as Hulk put on the Infinity Gauntlet, he started having spasms and whatever. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's something I, I do think they... They showed well that it was obviously it wasn't something that you could do easily is do, to do a snap or something like that. Why? Uh, how do you feel about get them giving Iron Man the role of unsnapping instead of Nebula as in hmm. the comics? You know, I, as much as I love Nebula and as I've said, super love ne Nebula. Um, I think it's fitting. Um, her her mm -hmm. battle was more personal than Tony's. I think Tony was. You know, the whole, the whole reason he was, the, his is personal too, obviously, because you have on one side Morgan and on, on the other side Peter. But um, to me, it, it worked really nicely because it's just, you know, as as a 22 movie saga, you know, he, he started it and, mm -hmm. and he ended it, you know, and he gave his life to end it. And I, yeah. I appreciate it. And he knows, he knew he was going to die, you know, like he saw what happened to Hulk, um, but he did it anyway. So I. I found I found that very powerful, and it was like the first time I've liked Gwyneth Paltrow in the series is when she's like telling him that he can go, and Aww, that, that was, was emotional. So sad. It really was. 
Yeah, I think that like if you having having a character that was introduced later be the big game changer, um, just isn't as satisfying from a you know emotional arc perspective. Like even if like in that individual movie it works really well, um, I think that just like you know like I think it was a good thing that they didn't have Captain Marvel be like the be all and end all of the of the battle and of the movie. Um, because she was introduced so late, and it does it does feel like a Deus Ex Machina, or however you pronounce that. Um, and so I think that it was fitting, and you know, a good creative narrative choice, even if it wasn't you know the most logical or you know most true to the comics choice to have Iron Man do it. So I have like a few feelings about what you just said about both of what you just said, and I think first mm-hmm. off. I felt they underused a lot, underutilized Captain Marvel right after like introducing her. Oh, but if, agree, but a, sure. again, it was a huge movie with a lot of people. But I, I kind and like it was definitely putting a closing arc on some people's stories. So obviously they're going to spend more time on them. But I, I did feel that she was still a little bit underutilized, and that we could have seen her more, and we could have seen her interact with people more. And instead, it was just like randomly she's going to show up to save the yeah. And her reasons for not being around were lame. So, so I wanted to say that, but, and I agree with you that it definitely felt like more cinematically um, appropriate that Tony did it and not Nebula, but I did feel it wouldn't have been so inappropriate for Nebula to do it because that was her, like, that was her role in the comics. And also her whole story was her pretty much rebelling against her own training. So I was kind of hoping maybe she would get it off and then Tony would end up snapping it or something. Cause I knew Tony was we all knew Tony was going to die, I feel like. I still didn't want him to die. I didn't know going in, but I wasn't surprised. Well, the second Strange p- picked up his finger and was like, the, the you know, if I tell you how it ends, you, it won't happen. I was like, bye, Tony. But I was also, at that moment, I was just like, that's such a <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> um, for me, it was more just because, like, Robert Downey Jr., isn't going to be in them anymore and oh i knew he was done and he was probably going to die but i didn't know exactly yeah, well, how my my calculation was either him or um Steve. um captain america was going to die and one of them was going to like gracefully mm-hmm. exit the scene in a separate way so i wasn't sure which one was which well the only reason i thought that mm-hmm. tony would die was because there's spider-man coming out and he's not in it and mm-hmm. why wouldn't he be in it unless he died because that's like his relationship so why wouldn't they at least have his voice or something in it? But they were just like, nope, he's not in it, which made me think that he was going to die. I, I still, I think it's, I think it's kind of a pity because Nebula, that is Nebula's story is kind of her getting over her training and getting over everything to defeat Thanos. And I don't think they did her an injustice, but I kind of would have liked to see her have a bigger role in the final battle because that is her character like storyline. And it kind of just felt a little bit like, Okay, I understand what you're doing, but it would have been nice to see some nod to the the fact that she did like overcome everything. And I know she did, and they did it, and and they showed it, and it was okay. But but they kind of made it more about her relationship with Gamora rather than her relationship with Thanos. Yeah, I don't know. I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all what they ended up doing, but I kind of am a little sad for Nebula. I hear it's not a hundred percent satisfying that like her last major beat is like killing her old self even yeah. though i do think it's a good and important moment in her story um pro- the problem the reason i think that i'm not as upset about that is because nebula for me exists firmly in a secondary character perspective 
Like, I don't expect mm-hmm. her to ever have a movie about her, and I don't want her to. So, like, the fact that she played that role in this movie works for me, as opposed to, like, Black Widow always playing second fiddle or third fiddle or whatever when she's yes. a leading character. Um, okay, so, um, opinions on where next Spider-Man falls out on the Marvel timeline? It's the next movie. I think it's pretty yeah, clear it's future. It's, it's in our five-year uh, future. Apparently all of Peter's classmates were also snapped, but okay. That was really fine. confusing. I was just like, <laughs> how would that happen that all of them got snapped? Yeah, Tom Holland's face when an interviewer pointed this out to him was priceless. <laughs> I love that video of Tom Holland saying he's like a Gryffindor or something, and him like him being a Hufflepuff for five minutes. I love it. It's adorable. Oh, yeah, oh, that. I love him. Oh, so good. Agent Carter. Yeah, okay. The film's treatment yes. of Agent Carter. I think you guys may may have stronger thoughts than I do. Like I know there are a lot of people who are very upset that she didn't that they didn't interact, that she didn't have a speaking role and they that it feels like she was just a a prize at the end for uh for Cap. And I didn't feel that way at the time and I still don't feel that way. Like I think it was okay to me that they didn't have her have her speak like like I, obviously, I would have liked for her to speak, but I was okay with them not interacting because, you know, you can feel the longing much more when there is no interaction at all. Um, and so I didn't mind that. And also just like the movie is full of lots and lots of stuff. And I didn't think that it was necessary to have them interact when he goes back and like, I didn't feel like she was a prize for him because I... I'm still super invested. Like the, for me, the best part of like the Marvel cinematic universe is the agent Carter TV show. So like for me, it was like cap is a prize for Peggy, not the other way around. Like I was just really happy for her because I know like I watched, you know, agent Carter and like how, you know, hard, you know, things were for her and how much she grieved for him. And like, you know, I was much more invested in her getting what she wanted, mm-hmm. you know, like even more so than I was in Cap getting what he wanted. So, like, it didn't bother me from that perspective. Yeah, I totally, until this conversation, didn't realize that people were mad that she, like, didn't have a speaking role because I felt like she wasn't ideal for him and, and that it isn't, mm. this isn't that story. So I didn't mind it as much because we've seen their story in in the previous films and and it, it didn't it didn't bother me at all. I, I don't know if that's weird. Mm-hmm. Should I be bothered? You don't have to be bothered. If things don't bother you, you don't have to be bothered. <laughs> People had problems with her, him, like going back to her at the end, and what that meant for the entire storyline that she had lived. And I like that that Steve was was Peggy's secret husband because we knew that she got married, but we never knew who, who yeah, she got married I'm to. Comfortable saying alternate universe and whatever. I had issues with Agent Carter, um, yeah, especially the second season. So that was never kind of like a major thing for me. I remember the first season, uh, like, more than the second season, but I really enjoyed all of it. You know, like, I, not necessarily the plot lines, but the character interactions and the setting, and just, like, oh, I loved, like, all of the main characters on the show. Yes, oh, Jarvis is amazing. But I was also, I was really annoyed, like, why, why is Tony's father... John Slattery and not Dominic Cooper. Like Dominic Cooper was an amazing Howard Stark, and I don't know why they recast him. 
And then they had to like age him backwards. I kind of wish they'd gotten a different actor entirely just to be like, what the heck? Like just a different actor. Um, okay, and finally, um, Captain America, after three films about Bucky, finally gets Bucky back, and then ditches Bucky to go back in time. Okay, so I don't mind at all that Steve went back in time. I think that's actually a beautiful ending for him, that mm. his version of his, like, win scenario is that he gets to go back and have a normal life with Peggy. To me, that's beautiful. Um, I do think that he and Bucky should have had a conversation, though. Yes. <laughs> like, and I, I love that Cap is, that Sam is now Cap. Um, I really like the idea, theoretically, mm. of of um, Bucky being Cap, but it's just not earned in the material that we've gotten. He's also one of those secondary characters that I don't ever expect to have his own. Yeah, I mean, they're having a TV show. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, but it's not the same. Yeah. But yeah, I did want them to have a, a, a conversation. Like, it's it's he's been a major motivating factor. <laughs> yeah. In my head, they did. They just didn't show it on screen because the movie was too long and they just had too much else to do. The, I think the director has said, like, off screen in another interview that Bucky knew that Cap was going, like, to stay in the past. So, mm. so like, yeah, maybe that'll be a bonus. I, I, I think, I mean, as much as, like, shipping is fun, I think a lot of the outrage was kind of about the shipping, which has never mm. been canon. It, obviously, yeah. uh, uh, Steve's, Steve's endgame was Peggy and so (laughs) for him to go back to Peggy makes a lot more sense than him to stay in the present with Bucky except that they made so much about his plot about getting back Bucky as a friend and then they're just like but we're not gonna show them interacting at all because we don't need to and that's weird yeah Yeah, I agree it felt like a like a big emotional balloon that had been blown up and then was just allowed to like leak out as opposed to so weird having a satisfying pop. Yeah. Um, also, Sebastian Stan is a really good actor and yeah. he deserves a little better than this. Yeah. I feel like he was wasted yeah. for the mm-hmm. most part in this role. I mean, he gets back, he basically like gets to like look around coolly as he uses his Uzi. <laughs> like, yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I think I've seen a lot of outrage about, that and just like how they represented the first like on-screen gay character is kind of also just a cop out. Oh, that wasn't a character. Yeah. I see that no, frustrates me because so the, stupid. The, not stupid. I, it's just fine that they did it. Like, I mean, it's great that they did it. Like, hey, that's very nice to have like you know casual inclusion and it not be a big deal. But it's not. He's that guy is not the first character. He nope. doesn't have a name. He's in it for like two minutes. And it's he's not a character. I think it was it was such a cop out. Um, yeah. And and I think a lot of people were like, I don't know where people, every time I see people talk about Bucky and Steve as if it would, it should have been the end game. I'm just like, was that how you were watching the movies? Because the movies were pretty straightforward <laughs> about this. So I understand the upset, but there's no, I, I, I think that the upset was misplaced kind of. Yeah, there's not a lot of textual evidence for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there's more textual evidence for, you know, Dean and Castiel on Supernatural than there is for this. Trust you on that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Tannis May wants us to discuss, um, you have a family, so you deserve to live. Obviously that's Natasha to Clint as a follow-up from I am sterile. So I'm a monster. Um, have we talked about the whole I'm sterile, so I'm a monster thing from... I talked about it briefly. I think we talked about that, um, a bit in a previous episode. Long story short, to me, I get why people are sensitive about that, but I, I, I always read that line as, and and I think by the way, like I actually went back and watched the 
hammer scene from Age of Ultron, which I had very fond memories of. And I was like, this is actually kind of weird and sexist and icky, um, especially with some of the dialogue with Natasha. But this particular thing, I to me, it felt like I've had these horrific things done to me and I've been literally created to be a monster. And her being ster- mm-hmm. sterili- sterilized, not sterile, was part of that. Um, so to me, that didn't read like, I can't have babies, so I'm evil, you know. Yeah, I've also just felt like, you know, because it's not set up that, like, you're supposed to agree with her. Like, you're obviously, you know, she's saying this thing and, you know, you, your reaction is supposed to be, you're totally wrong, you know. Because we know, as viewers, she is not a monster. You know, she is our hero. And, like, it wasn't set up that it's anything other than internalized misogyny and self-loathing. So, like, it didn't bother me in that sense. Mm-hmm. Tamara, any follow-up thoughts on uh, this whole mess? <laughs> I kind of disagree with SM's reasoning that, like, you're supposed to mm. understand that she's not a monster because I think that nobody on screen told her she wasn't a monster. So it's kind of just letting it hang in the air, weirdly. Um, and I didn't like that. And I think the, a lot of the, the conversation I've been seeing around Natasha and the aftermath kind of made me think that even more so you're supposed to kind of be like not 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 you're not supposed to agree that she's a monster but just they they put it out there into the universe when that was something that they didn't really need to ever bring up except that they thought that was an important part of her becoming natasha was that she can't have children and they made that a major plot point i think it was an important part of her it was in the context of her relationship with hulk and just like to explain why they connected i think that they could have shown other things that were done to her like i think that they picked something very specific purposefully and i think that like they ignored a lot of other stuff that natasha was trained to do or done to her and they just kind of were just like this this is the be all and end all of what makes natasha a monster and and i just don't i just don't like it i I think that i think it 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 felt really flat for me i think it they could have they could have developed her more and they just decided how do we make her the like what do we think of the worst thing that they could do to natasha i know making her sterile and that's such a joss whedon thing really but yeah i mean it's a super it's a it's like i i wonder if i mean not that it would have been i mean like it could have been nice it could have been but like i'm i'm wondering like if peggy jenkins had directed that movie would that have ever been been become a, a plot point i'm thinking no yeah. I don't know. It's a see it, again I I kept thinking it's like coming back to me what I thought at the time which was that like it would actually make logical sense for a like covert like cadre of literal lady super spies to be sterilized if they were supposed to be working for a government like like that that is actually something that I could see but that isn't like logic isn't necessarily a reason for a story choice. So that's kind of where I am on that. Yeah, I mean, like, it could um, like it could have been, you know, something that was done to her, but, like, it didn't have to, like, ever, you know, be mentioned or, like, highlighted. Like, it didn't necessarily have to be relevant in any, you know, mm-hmm. of these movies, but they made it relevant, and, you know, you can like or dislike that choice. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm Wikipediaing as we're talking, and I just literally typed in the phrase, Natasha, sterile comics. And and Natasha, according to the comics, was trained at this place called the Red Room, and there is not a single reference on the Wikipedia page to sterilization or anything else that's talking about this, and it's talking about quite a few things that 
people like took place to the, these women in the red room. It was a red, it was a Soviet training facility for female spies. And so like, there's obviously other Mm -hmm. plot points that took place and they didn't need to highlight that except that they decided to highlight that. So that was a pretty decisive choice. And, and, and we are talking in, especially in Endgame particular, but we're talking that there's a lot of conversations like with Bucky and Steve, like there's a lot of stuff that they skipped over that would have probably been more important than highlighting that about Natasha because considering that we didn't really see a whole lot of Natasha's background in general for that to be the one thing that they like really emphasized and made like a major plot point it just feels really not right to me no I I definitely hear it I think there's a lot to be said and considered about that it's definitely not like it's definitely not something that you go out thinking like well they did that perfectly (laughs) like to to put lightly (laughs) yeah I think it's more like you know along the lines of for me, it's like you you weren't bothered, you know, by Peggy not having a speaking role, but like um, you can probably understand why other people would be bothered by it, you know. So like that's kind of where I fall on this. Like I can understand why it would bother some people, but it doesn't personally bother me. I think that bothers me a lot less because Peggy wasn't a star of the movie, and they didn't make her very essence being about that. She doesn't speak mm-hmm. in this movie. She like wasn't supposed to be in this movie, really. Like this isn't her movie. But 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 Natasha mm-hmm. Scarlet. Like Natasha, they made this her very essence of her being to be around that plot point. Mm. Okay, so um, Elisa Unger Sargon asks us about what she calls the horrendous shot of the lady superheroes mid battle, and I'm going to say that we um, it's two it yeah we discussed it, and it's also um, two and a half against one, so two and a half yeah. <laughs> um, then we have some tweets. Um, does someone else want to read the tweets? So Izzy House 90, I don't see her actual handle. I think it's a her. Izzy might be a guy, sorry. I think Izzy is a guy. Okay, Izzy. They, Izzy. <laughs> Izzy House 90, they say, uh, did you feel that the personality shift that they gave Thanos was justified or made sense? I can understand the change of goals with a complete change of his personality with it seemed a bit much. And I'm not quite sure at which point of the film he's talking about. I think he's talking about the beginning. Not the end. I'm, like, a little confused. Yeah, I think he's, he, I mean, I definitely felt at the beginning of the movie that, like, sad puppy Thanos, sad farmer Thanos was, like. felt like a different person. Yes, a bit of a departure, um, given that, like, we weren't, didn't really have an indication that he was, like, and now I shall destroy the things that have, you know, it, it seemed a little bit too, forgiving to his logic that like this is truly all i want and the betterment of blah 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 blah, which i'm like no but then of course we get him at the end and he's a crazy an even crazier megalomaniac than he is when we meet him in infinity war so yeah i don't know maybe they're just like saying like thanos is not like the most consistent dude and he changes his mind a lot well i felt it was like three different places of Thanos like I didn't think the first part was super out of character because he did seem to just you know want to go somewhere and like sit at the end of Infinity War which again was weird um but it didn't really the first part didn't really bother me so much it was when he went like all over the top with Nebula that I I thought this question was kind of more about but again that was a very different Thanos than the Thanos at the start of Infinity War where he had all like he knew he was gonna get all stones so like it's two different universes of thanos like not maturity but like his personality levels about like how he's going to succeed and stuff i don't know that that wasn't english um I, I just think he was a little bit 
I, I didn't think it didn't make sense. I just think it was showing different sides of Thanos throughout the years and through his like his path towards snapping. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but uh, but I don't know because I guess now that I'm thinking about it, the Thanos that we saw was pretty different from the Thanos that we saw with Gamora when she was a kid. And that would be the the level of Thanos that we should have really seen in the past. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm unclear on timelines anyway. Well, so. I, I guess my biggest problem with Thanos' personality is is why was he so angry with the the star like everybody in the present now because he never really had interacted with them. Uh well, I think he knew that that was like supposed to be the seeds of his destruction, and he was like. I shall defeat this. Yeah, and he like he watched the video, like you watched Nebula's oh, videos. Right, I, that. I guess, but I don't know. It seems really personal to him, and he's never met these people before, except through Nebula's eyes, and she didn't see everything that happened in the past, in the before the finger snap. So I don't know. It just seemed really mega personal. Because I mean, who who is Nebula with in Infinity War? Tony? Was she with anybody in Infinity War? She was with Tony because she ends up with him at the start of Endgame. At the at the end, yeah, yeah because they all end up on Titan. All right. right. So I mean, I just just I feel like from Nebula's perspective, I guess I kind of should go watch Infinity War. I guess again, except I don't really want to because I already just did that. Um, <laughs> I think that Thanos's um, interactions, that part of it is the part I'm guessing that if I were Izzy, that's what I'd be questioning is is kind of how he was interacting with the Avengers. Uh, it wasn't kind of this this new these new enemies who we know are enemies and we need to kill but it was like old rivalry ah, ha, ha, with the villain stuff and I'm just I don't know I was really over Thanos by the end of this movie like when his <laughs> head got cut off I was just like good <laughs> it was so satisfying watching him yeah, really blow was. away oh but can we can we uh, this isn't a question but can we talk about Thor for a second because I never actually said my yes I was gonna bring that up if we didn't get we didn't to end it. up getting to my least favorite scene in the in the movie and, oh and yeah it was, it was Thor it was Thor like them just well uh, the fat shaming of Thor particularly when they found him in the in the beginning no, no, no. like they were continuously fat shaming him yeah like it was like oh ha, ha, god of thunder is fat so we're gonna make fun of him instead of oh our friend is depressed and seriously depressed and we should not make fun of him. Yeah, I feel like they tried to have it a bit of both ways where, like, I I think that, like, you know, Chris Hemsworth did a great job portraying his trauma of the character um, and the movie around it was not always, you know, obviously it was not always respectful of, you know, what the character had been through and, you know, parts of it were played for laughs, but I felt like as the movie went on, it was played less for laughs, but still, you know. Yeah, but I did appreciate that I felt like it was, you know, an atypical representation of trauma. Um, that I did appreciate seeing, you know, like how how bad it got and that um and that at least, you know, Chris Hemsworth as an actor took it seriously and like Played it seriously. For sure, I, I think that everything about Hemsworth and Thor and the trauma itself and, and the way it was handled by the characters that really um, addressed... The scene with his mom was amazing. I think his whole development and the way that he you know, was talking to Valkyrie at the end. Like, I think everything about Thor made sense. I just didn't like that they just were like fat, fat shaming him randomly for some kicks and giggles when we know that the, the 
Avengers, yeah, we know they're funny and we know we should be laughing. But that was something that like they had just established was this is a really dramatic, terrible, traumatic thing. And now we're just going to laugh at him really quickly here because we don't know what other joke to make in this moment and we need some humor somewhere. So I just think it, 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 it didn't, I don't know. I think it was in poor taste. And the fact that they're not having, um, what's his name, whose name I can't pronounce, um, who did Thor Ragnarok. Oh, Taika Waititi? Yes, thank you. Taika Waititi. Um, the fact that they're not Taika having Taika Waititi Cohen. The fact that yes. they're not, well, he doesn't, he doesn't prefer that, so I'm not going to call him he that. He doesn't go yeah. by Cohen anymore. Oh, okay. um, he doesn't prefer that. Um, so the fact that um, Taika Waititi isn't doing Asgardians of the Galaxy as the next film is very disappointing. Yeah, but like, it, it's James Gunn's franchise. Yeah. Right? So, yeah like, that one is, I'm not surprised. Yeah. But I mean, after, I mean, that was a great opening. Like, after James Gunn's whole thing, whatever you feel about it, they could have just we're just like if they already knew that Thor was going to end up with them. Like the Asgardians of the Galaxy is a is a is a Marvel thing. I mean, but it's not it's not clear that Thor is going to be in the next Guardians movie. What are they going to do then? Some people have. I think that like his 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 contract is is not finalized. And, like they're not sure if he's going to be in any more movies. Well, he better be in the movie because that's the only reason I'm excited. They so. set it up that way. This is garbage. I don't know. I from from what I've read, Chris Chris Hemsworth's contract is up and. Um, I don't. I don't know if he's going to be in any future movies as of right now. I feel like Chris Hemsworth has so much fun with Thor. Yeah, especially since Taika Waititi cracked the code of Thor and stopped writing him like an annoying like, oh da 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 da. You know, once they let him be funny, it was much better. Well, it was much better that way. To, so to the fat shaming of Thor, like I definitely see that. I just, I feel like everybody's dealing with trauma in in this movie and the fact that it is Thor makes it more funny, you know, because it's not like a random person who put on weight. It's the God of thunder who has had a legendarily Mm. epic body for six movies or whatever, you know? So to me, it was like a little bit of like contrast humor more than a general poking fun, but I definitely understand why people are sensitive to it. Yeah. I hear that too. Um, I also thought, that like just in general, like you said, that trauma was highly featured. I feel like this after I you know, aside from Iron Man three, I feel like most of the movies do not really try to address trauma in a serious way. Um and this one did, and I think that it did a really great job. And I know that a lot of um fans are like campaigning for Robert Downey Jr. to get an Oscar for um for his performance, and there were some scenes in here where he just really knocked it out of the park. Um, like after he was rescued and uh he just kind of, you know, loses it on the team. Oh, like, that was hard to it watch. Was, it it was hard to watch, but it was like while I was watching it, I was like, this is really great portrayal of trauma and PTSD. Like this is amazing. Um and yeah, and like I wrote on on uh Abigail, Dr. Abigail Gordon's wall. Um after the movie, I, I said, you know, I would love for you to, you know, because she, she's told me that she's thought about doing a podcast just in general about mental health um, portrayals in media. And I was mm. like, I would totally listen to an episode about this and, and all the different ways that trauma is portrayed in this. Uh, I was just going to say, actually, I think I found Robert Downey Jr.'s acting in the movie a little bit over the top, and I appreciated Chris Hemsworth's depiction of of his character's trauma a little bit more. I, 
I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I did walk out of it kind of thinking, uh, it's okay that, not it's okay, but like, I'm not so disappointed with the way that Tony's arc has gone and I'm okay with it. Cause I really did feel at certain points, like, like kind of how you said, like, oh, you liked Pepper for the first time. This was kind of the first time where I didn't really like Tony. I, I mean, I guess in Civil War also, but you're not supposed to really like him in Civil War. But I didn't really like how Robert Downey Jr. was, was I guess, his presence in a lot of the film. Not, I mean, not that it was bad. I just, I, I don't know if it's like, not like nomination worth. Whereas I think that, not that I think that Chris Hemsworth is like, I don't know what is, I don't know. I don't get to pick the awards, but I think I, I preferred Chris Hemsworth depiction of his character's trauma a little bit more than Tony's, which I found a little bit jumpy and I found it a little bit harder to really, um, like I wasn't crying necessarily over Tony's emotional turmoil and I was tearing up for Hemsworth's. Well, the worst. I wasn't for, for either one. Um, I did feel like, you know, Tony's was, a more like like I said, Thor's is more atypical, and I felt like Tony's is more typical and like what you would expect, um, in like mo- mo- the more conventional symptoms of PTSD versus you know Thor's uh, symptoms, which were different. But I I did think that like both of them were great in their own ways, but also just like I was fine with you know how it ended because I feel like you know. Tony has had these 22 movies to develop and like he's, you know, his arc is complete now. And Thor feels like, you know, with Thor Ragnarok, he was just reinvented and like, it's much too soon for that guy to go. Yeah. I feel that, I guess. Um, so SM, do you want to take our final tweet? So this is from Raf AB. Just a message to say I brought my two sisters to watch the movie with me. They are not big Marvel fans like me, but they enjoyed it, especially since it was our big home away night out. So that's great. It's awesome. Um, Raph lives in Raph lives in France, so obviously the movie came out earlier in uh, <laughs> in Europe because lucky <laughs> them in Israel. Uh, so that's how they got to see it on home away. So good for them. <laughs> good for them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I saw the movie alone because it is Sphera. But yeah, it is uh it's Sphera and I don't go to movies as social events during Sphera, but I go on my own, which works out really well for me because I love going to movies by myself. Um so I saw this yeah, on my own and like I know it would have been really fun to be with other people and reacting all at the same time, but it's also just really fun to just have all your reactions for yourself. And, like, nobody in the theater is paying attention to you because you're not with any of them. And you just, like, to experience it, you know, entirely. And, yeah, just as your own thing. Um, And, yeah, it was really fun. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it again after Sphero with my brother and sister. So I'm excited about that. Um, so that is actually going to bring us to the end of our <laughs> Avengers Endgame discussion. Um, I don't, we, I feel like we'll probably bring this up again at some point, um, because there's a lot to talk about here, but I think we covered it pretty well. Um, I do want to read a, um, an iTunes review that we got from Rachela S, who also sent us a wonderful email. Um, and she says that this podcast Uh, this is the podcast that all nerdy Jewish girls need and the one that we deserve 
Um, my Hi, my name is Rachala. I'm a Jewish fangirl, and my current obsession is a podcast that I've been binge listening to for months called Nice Jewish Fangirls. I'm not on Facebook, but I'm aware of Olaf. That's Orthodox Ladies United in fandom, uh, for those of you who don't know, and jealous of those who are a part of it. So I was ex- super excited to hear about this podcast, and I hoped it would live up to my expectations. It didn't. It went far, far beyond them. <laughs> and I was so happy to be a fan of NJF. You guys are so real and relatable. It sounds like you have so much fun talking about fandomish stuff, and then you go and connect it all back to Judaism. I want to insinuate myself into the podcast so y'all could be my new best friends. I get so excited every time you talk about or slyly hint about something I love. We as Orthodox Jewish nerds are such a unique group, and I love this podcast for being just for us. Thank you so much for gifting the world of nice Jewish fangirls with your voices of humor and insight about altogether awesomeness. Um, thank you so much, Rachela. That is an incredibly kind uh, review, and um, I'm feeling very good about myself right now. But I don't know about you guys. Yes, my heart just grew three sizes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's really awesome. Um, if you would like to leave us a review, um, we will definitely read it on the podcast. It does help our iTunes ranking. So, you know, if you haven't, please maybe do that. Just a couple words, five stars. We'd appreciate it. And and you can be critical in the review, even if you give us five stars, like go ahead. Just don't give us two stars and be mean also. Like if you're going to, you can give us feedback. We will, we will take it with love. Yeah, just don't hurt our star rating. We need that star rating. Yeah, we actually do. Like, it's not a joke. It's sad. We're dependent on it, but there we are. Um, oh, also, if you've left us a review in a different country, um, it's hard to find iTunes. Like, it's hard to access iTunes if you're in a different country. So if you're in Canada or Israel or something and you've left, left us a review, you can, like, take a, a screenshot and send it and we'll totally read it um, if it's positive. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, oh, and we also just want to add an exciting new piece of information. Our podcast is now being edited professionally. Yay. Woo! So thank you to Jamie Bloomberg for being our awesome new editor. And we will put their information in the uh, show notes if you are in need of audio editing. Okay, so tomorrow, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, people can find me if they so desire at Twitter and Instagram at Tamar Writes. And they can read my articles, usually about K-pop, uh, at Billboard and Forbes.com. And SM, how about you? Um, you can follow my public posts on Facebook. And you can buy my fictional works um, on Amazon at Amazon.com slash author slash SM Rosenberg. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Ink as Rain, and you can find my writing at hypable.com. Uh, for the nice Jewish fangirls, uh, first of all, go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, which is the home of our network. Um, please check out all of their amazing Jewish interest podcasts, which like go from like women in Judaism to like just baseball. So definitely um, check out jewishcoffeehouse.com. We're really proud to be a part of that network. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at Jewish Fangirls. You can find us on Facebook at Nice Jewish Fangirls. And you can email us. We would love to get an email from you at NiceJewishFangirls at gmail.com. So that is actually going to be all for us. A nice a nice Gizunta episode, I think, you guys, we came back with, which I'm, I'm happy about. Um, a Gizunta episode for a Gizunta movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. One last shawarma for everyone. Exactly. Raise a shawarma. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Or a taco. <laughs> so uh thank you so much for listening and we will spe- see you eh, How do I end this?
Thanks so much for listening and live long and prosper everyone.